Betting Preview Podcast from Pregame.com. Pregame.com. Broadcasting straight from the Las Vegas Strip. Vegas, baby. With your host, R.J. Bell. I saw him on ESPN. Can I call Marco Daddy? VR seems wild. Alabama at Arkansas. Marco, what should batters be looking at? Plain and simple, this is the first real test Alabama's had this year. Playing Arkansas on the road, SEC road game, always tough to go. Arkansas plays with huge revenge. They've got drilled the last two years by Alabama. Big home game. Arkansas had a win on the road last week at Georgia, hard-fought game, and they showed grit on the road. But the one thing that they had trouble with last week, and they got to get fixed for this week, Georgia completely shut down their running game. If they don't get the running game going this week, Alabama's defense will cause problems for Mallet, the QB for Arkansas. Okay. So at least once a week we run into this, and I don't know if it's your 31 years in the business prior to pregame, but we're about answers. We're not about <laughs> questions. You just gave, it'd be like, next, get the free pick. Or, you know, next, pay 25 bucks and you get this pick. No, no, no. We're giving them the information here for free. So let me kind of go through. You, you frame the questions. Let's talk about the answers. You talk about revenge. Now, there's two ways to look at it when a team is dominated, beat up. One is, oh, my God, we're going to get them back. And two is, my God, I don't want no more of that. <laughs> kind of like Mr. T, I, Rocky Three, when he's beating on Stallone, he's like, I got a lot of more. I got a lot of more. <laughs> well, that's how Alabama's looking and thinking, I'm sure. Now, is Arkansas, in this case, do you account for that? Because it's easy to say, that's the old... Uh, you know, Trendmeister, oh, they've lost two in a row, double revenge. But that's not always good, I don't think. Sometimes it, it's going to be a fear factor. Specifically, how do you handicap the revenge in this case? Well, in this instance, by far of the last three years going into this game in the previous two seasons, this is the best Arkansas team that Alabama will have faced of the three editions. So I think they have the personnel this year to make a game of it. Alabama... Not at 100%. Ingram came back last week. He was impressive in limited carries. You know, this guy is just a couple weeks removed from all right, surgery. All right, let, let, let's, let's not ramble. Let's drill down into this, please. Is, so what you're saying is because Arkansas has been beat up, but this feels like their chance at redemption, that it might be about truly, hey, here's our chance. Absolutely. Almost like if you were playing pickup basketball, you're getting your butt kicked, but then the big brother comes back from college, and you're going to get a chance to play with, the, with your brother at center. Yeah, hopefully he's good. Well, that's, <laughs> that's the assumption. Okay, now, here's a factor that really jumps out at me. Florida next week for Alabama. How are you handicapping that? Well, actually, I have a note on this is a bad scheduling spot, period, for uh, Alabama. If you look at what they've had over the last four weeks, two weeks ago they had the big game against Penn State. That was a statement game to start off. Penn State sent a freshman quarterback into Alabama, uh, so they got the win there. Then they got to go on the road this week to Arkansas, another tough game. They had an easy spot last week, but then Florida next week. That's a tough four-week stretch. Three, three games out of four, you've got to really be on your toes for Alabama. But I thought you said early that this is the first real test for Alabama. It is the first real test one because, as I said, when they played 
Penn State, they were playing a freshman quarterback for Penn State. They didn't have the offensive threat to that defense in that Penn State game. Okay. Here's my, here, here is, uh, well, let's go back to the revenge real quick because this number jumped out at me. Arkansas's quarterback last year was 12 of 35. That's 33%. So, I mean, it, it feels like this Alabama team's dominant, and I do think it extends to my next point. It's always easy to pick the dominant team. Hey, the Steelers' D looks good. Maybe we should go under. That's easy. I, and usually you have to pay a premium for that, and you do that with the Patriots, you do that with the Cowboys, etc. in the NFL, you do that with Florida. I'm not so sure yet that Alabama has the proper premium on them, or at least they don't have any extreme premium. Here's why. 5-0 ATS in September, so they start fast. 9-11 ATS on the road. This is a team that goes on the road well. This is a team that wins early. This feels like a really good spot for Alabama. Um, what's your thoughts on, on, on the idea that usually if you fade the number one team, you're getting value, but maybe not yet with Alabama? Uh, I will agree with you there. And one thing, Coach Saban's been a guy, and we, we even saw it in the championship game last year. He's not opposed to throwing in that late score at the end of the game, uh, which when you're laying points as Alabama's doing, that's a good factor to know because you know, a lot of coaches go conservative when they get the big lead and have mercy on the other team. He doesn't show that at all. And, and we talked about last week with Florida specifically how these, these elite college teams travel almost like an NFL team, and thus the, the, the road disadvantage is not as high, and that's why things like 9 of 11 ATS on the road make sense. All right, any closing thoughts before your projection? Uh, I, looking at this game, I have Alabama slight uh, to win the game, but I'm going to go more to the total. When right. we get here. And I think that Arkansas is going to try to slow the game down. I think they will have better success this week running the ball against Alabama. And the reason I say that, I went back to the talked about that Penn State game when they went in with a freshman quarterback. So you know that Penn State was going to have a conservative game plan with a freshman quarterback. Penn State was able to run the ball for four yards a carry against Alabama when you thought that you know Alabama would have a game plan that's going to you know mm-hmm. stack the run. So right. that's why with a quarterback that has some talent, you know, Mallet's had a good year so far. I think they'll have success. They might come out and pass early to set up the run later. And I would like them to keep this game close, but I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. All right. So what's your exact projection? I have it Alabama twenty-four twenty with an opinion towards the under. Right. Then. Okay. Now it's your turn to continue the conversation in the comments section with Marco and me. And next up, we're going to be talking Stanford at Notre Dame. Stanford at Notre Dame. Marco, what should betters be looking at? There's one question, and we're going to find the answer in this podcast. Is Stanford really as good as they've looked in the first three games? Are they? Well, I'm going to say they are, and it's going to go that this offense is unbelievable for Stanford this year. And what I've seen of the Notre Dame defense so far, it's going to be a scary thought seeing the Stanford offense come rolling into South Bend. Now, Stanford has outscored opponents this year so far 52-14. to 14. Hard to argue with those numbers. Uh, equally hard to argue with is 
Notre Dame defense gave up over 500 yards to Michigan and then almost 500 yards to Michigan State last week. And those offenses, you know, are a lot of running and power football, too, where Stanford's wide open. It's scary what could happen this week in South Bend. Okay, now, that's an, with the line at four and a half, Stanford is a road favorite. That screams Stanford, it would seem. Um, now, it's always... You know, I, I'm conflicted right now because on one hand, whenever you think, oh, this Notre Dame team's not as good as people think, Stanford's really uh, awesome, you know Stanford's going to be motivated, it's a big TV game, you know, you would think that the line could be much higher and be reasonable. Uh, are you? A, does this feel like a trap to you, which is something you're always sniffing out? It, it's something that, you know, when you look at it and see, it's again, which way do you want to look at this? Because First thought, you think of Notre Dame at home as an underdog, period, draws your attention, you know, as an average better. But as you look at how good Stanford is, the four and a half. And those big scores, we talk about the different levels of um, handicapper, and and at the the most uh, surface level is a score handicapper. 52, you know, to 14, that's extreme. Stanford's awesome. Not digging deeper into the actual box score, et cetera, et cetera. So the question is, is the average batter going to be more um, intrigued by Notre Dame, who's, one, who's what, one and two, right? One and two at home, or are they going to, as a dog, or are they going to be more intrigued by uh, Stanford that's dominating on the scoreboard being less than a touchdown favorite? It's tough to get into what the public perception is going to be because everything you're saying is true about Stanford, but even though Notre Dame's one and two, the two losses came down to the last play of the game in both of them. So you could be saying people, oh, they could be three and out. Okay. Speaking of the last play of the game, how does that fake field goal run by Michigan State, how does that affect Notre Dame coming in this game? Well, there's a lot of handicappers that believe teams coming off an overtime loss that it's an extreme negative going into the next week. It's a, a handicapping angle. Um, Notre Dame, because you know this is a rivalry game, Stanford is one of those teams they play every year, and that's something that we'll point out. When teams come to South Bend, we say it's such a big deal you know, that they're intimidated by going to South Bend because they go every year. That's a little bit negated for a Stanford team rather than somebody that maybe makes a trip once every 10 years to Notre Dame. So no advantage point there. Notre Dame, this will be a test for them this week. They've got to crank up that offense to be able to trade points. I don't think they can fix the defense. The defense has way too many holes. This is, again, you want to talk about a correlated parlay. If you're going to like Stanford in the game, you're going to have to like the over in this game. But you just said that if Notre Dame's going to be in it, they're going to have to score with them. So it sounds like you like the over no matter what. Pretty much this one. <laughs> yeah. All right. So your point is that you're seeing Stanford's going to – you're figuring Stanford's putting up 40 regardless. The question is, is it going to be 40 to 17 or is it going to be 40 to 38? Well, actually, I say it's going to be 41 to 27. All right. So your official projection, 41-27. So that goes over and that goes – Stanford. Go Stanford. Okay, now, yeah, I always like to fade Notre Dame, so we can agree on that. At home, they have won 17 and lost 35 ATS. That's 60, over 66%. If all you did was fade, say, Notre Dame's overrated, 
And at home, they're especially overrated. I'm playing against them every week. That's five, let's think about this. This is 52 games. So this is over about 10 years for a decade. I mean, every, you could have been like, since you've been 45, you could have, wait, is that right? You could have started fading Notre Dame at home and been over 66. You didn't have to do any other handicapping. Now, with that said, this, this is a number that, and I don't have it in front of me, and it would be good to follow up in on the uh, post afterwards on our videos, is break that down and see what were they when they were a dog at home. Because most of those games in that ATS uh, grouping that you put there, Notre Dame would have been a favorite. No doubt, but, the, but the, what I'm saying is in a s- systemic fashion, they're overrated. There's the, you're getting a couple extra points whenever you fade Notre Dame, and apparently at home even more so. This isn't 7-3 and three or 3-7. Three and no. seven. It's, I mean, this is 52 games at 66%. I fade Notre Dame every chance I get, though unfortunately when I faded them last week, I lost by the hook. But uh, we'll be getting into that when we get into your best bet. Speaking of that, well, first, it's your turn to join the conversation in the comment section with me and Marco. Next up, you're going to see Marco's best bet on the West Virginia LSU game. And unfortunately, because of that half a point, me paying Marco off on last week's bet. For the best deals from trusted sportsbooks, visit pregameaction.com. West Virginia at LSU. This is Saturday night, and it's Marco's best bet. Marco, what should batters be looking at in this game? They're going to look at West Virginia, and the question is, are they a legitimate 3-0 and team, or are they counterfeit? I'm going to tell you they're not counterfeit, and we'll go into why there's value in taking West Virginia, and it will be my best bet. All right, West Virginia. Okay, now, you're 3-0 and in your best bets here on the video. Yes, I am. And you won 25 straight games earlier this summer, documented. So you're, you're hot. You're feeling it. Thank now, you. the rumor around the office is you've been, and again, there's some, di- there's some uh, discrepancies on this, is the rumor is you're eating pancake breakfast every <laughs> morning after you do your handicapping. Is that the secret? Uh, I eat pancake breakfasts on certain days of the week. Yes. So it, chocolate it, chip pancakes, chocolate, by the way. Well, that, that is... Uh, that, that, that sounds good. I'll just <laughs> say it that. It is good. <laughs> All right. So what, unfortunately, and we'll get into it at, at the end of the show or at the end of this video, we're going to be giving away, or fortunately, we'll be giving away a $10 coupon for anything at pregamepros.com. And additionally, I'm unfortunately going to be paying you off on the half point loser I had when I faded you. You keep talking about that half point. Yeah, it was a close. I mean, like, who are we kidding? It was a close loss. But I tell you, that's why half points are so important. Yes, we always are. talk about pregameaction.com where you can get the best deals from the most trusted books. And let me tell you, uh, I wish I had the extra half. You should have sh- shopped around. I should have shopped in this game. <laughs> and on the forums, I was also talking about how, you know, I'm probably an underdog. I mean, let's be honest, you're one of the best out there. I'm probably a dog when I'm bet- fading you, but it's so much fun. When I, but but I guess what I'm learning, because last year I was ahead, that it's just as hard to lose. So maybe I'm not, sure, not going to be so quick to pull the trigger. But anyway, we've had a lot of fun. Really, give me, just rattle me off. What, what's the keys of this game to well, you? Well, first of all, there's been a line move on this game. And most people would say, hey, that's the sharp money. And I'm going to say to a degree it is the sharp money, but I'm going to go ahead and make a projection here. Line opened up at 6.5, moved to 8.5 rather quickly. 
Wait to bet West Virginia for another day. Let this line peak. I think come Saturday. Right, well, Don't wait till Saturday, though, because I think late on Saturday you're going to see the Sharps come back in on West Virginia. They wanted to get ahead of the public money, and the public's going to jump on LSU because they do think West Virginia's counterfeit, and here's why. West Virginia's 3-0. and They opened the season beating Coastal Carolina, which is a nobody. Then they played Marshall, a game that they had tooth and nail to the end. On Friday night. On a Friday night, but a lot of people, again, and we pointed it out on our video, that's a big rivalry game for Marshall. You know, both teams are in West Virginia. And then last week they beat a Maryland team that's really not that great. So people are looking at them in three, at 3-0, three and oh, and they're not impressed at all by it. I can tell you this much. This is the best offense LSU's faced this year, bar none. LSU beat two teams the last two weeks in blowout fashion. They beat um, Vanderbilt two weeks ago, and then last week they beat Mississippi State. So now people are going to jump on that LSU bandwagon because they did blow people out. Big game on TV Saturday night. You're going to see my buddy Les Miles go to his conservative nature. West Virginia stays in this game all the way, and I'm going to call for the outright upset. All right, well, that's that's segue. Well, let's get the official projection out first. West Virginia, 20 to 17. All right, now, that that, that falls right into my trap. Your trap, uh-oh. Actually, I tend to like this side, so you're not going to get another 500 out of me on this. (laughs) But I will say this. LSU's played the last 26 night games. This is a night game at LSU. How many do you think they've won of the last 26? Uh, it should be rather high because there's a, a myth or mystique about playing at LSU. Well, they've won 25 of 26. So that doesn't sound, a myth is something, the implication being this false. They've won 25 of 26 at home at night. Now, here's what's interesting. They're 4 out of 19 ATS at home, not night or day, just at home. So it seems like it may be a situation that, yes, LSU does have a big advantage at home, but that, that's been accounted for in the line to the point that it might even be overcompensated now. Is, is that, what's your take on that? It is, but you know how I talk about lines? Go back to I said this line opened at 6.5. With everything you said, and I know people, our job is to beat the Vegas odds makers, but I've, I'm one of the handicappers that I give the Vegas odd makers more credit than most handicappers do. I respect them, and I look at the lines and see what they're doing. The fact that they opened this under the touchdown, as good as everything you just said and as bad as West Virginia's first three games were, tells me they were inviting LSU money. Yeah, but there's another side of that. If they're inviting the money, why are the books so quick to move through Savin? So, I mean, sometimes you'll see a situation, and that's something uh, in in the pregame forums they talk about a lot, is it'll be 82% of action based upon sportsbookspy.com, which uh, has the bet percent on one side, but the line hasn't moved. And they're saying, well, they're either the books or either the books won all that action or the Sharps are playing the other side and compensating, even though the bet percent numbers are higher in that case, is, is the amount of money might be similar because all the big bets are on the other side. The fact that, the, that we all know 90-plus percent of the action pre-game day is typically sharp, and the fact they moved it up through seven so fast, yeah, maybe the, you, you, there might be two things here. They either invited that action, which doesn't make sense to me, or they believed 
that LSU legitimately, the fair line should be six and a half. And the fact you're getting over a touchdown now means you're on the side of the bookie, but you also seem to be against the Sharps, unless you're right about the buyback. I really do expect the buyback on this. All right. And, uh, and to me, it's, it's, it, 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 that's dangerous. And it's a subtle conversation because I was shocked when you said don't wait till game time. Because you're saying you're so confident of this buyback that you're saying if you wait till game time, that number might get knocked down to seven again once the, once the Sharps come in and buy back. Right. If I told you right now... I think it'll end at seven and a half is where I think this, this game is. If I close. told you right now that for sure the Sharps like... Um, for sure the Sharps like LSU. There's no buy-bag comment. Do you still like this game? Or is this... Because what would, what would worry me is if your handicap is I love West Virginia getting more than a touchdown and you're saying I speculate because LSU is a public team that, that they were trying to get ahead of the move that was going to happen anyway, then I can deal with that. But if you're... But you got to be willing to say even if the Sharps do like it, give me the extra two points and I'm fine. Is that where your head's at? Because we can't be sure that buyback. My head, my head is on the handicap and the handicap to me is that West Virginia will keep this game close. And like you said, my numbers have them winning the, pulling the upset. All right, so as, as you're giving out the coupon, I'm going to go in my pocket, unfortunately, and get your nickel out. This has gotten to be, this is the second time this year, and I'm not real happy about it. But, Two in a row. I'm, I'm happy. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> uh, you know, time's running out. You might want to hurry up. Okay. The, the coupon this week is podcast10, all one word, podcast and the number 10 when you go to the pregame shopping cart whatever whatever you want in there enter that coupon code you'll get ten dollars off and unfortunately if the package only costs ten dollars you get it for free rj gets nothing but considering he has to give me five hundred dollars right now Buy something that costs more than $10 so he gets a couple bucks. <laughs> but don't buy from Marco, is what he said. All right, now it's your turn to continue the conversation in the comment section with Marco and me. And next up, we're going to be talking NFL football. Atlanta at New Orleans. Marco, what your betters be looking at? Well, I think there's value here this week. The Saints' public perception, even though they're 2-0, and Public perception is this is a team that you know really kind of got lucky two weeks in a row. Could easily be one and one or zero oh and two with two close wins. All right, so you're looking at this number and saying New Orleans minus four field goal is typically the home field in the NFL. New Orleans is probably the the best most. Uh, significant home field in the NFL, so let's say it's three and a half maybe. So we're almost saying these are even teams. Which is shocking. One of them's the defending Super Bowl champ. That's two and all. That's two and all. And you've got Atlanta that's one and one and had a blowout win last week over Arizona that everybody said was in total disarray because... And Atlanta got manhandled by the Steelers on the road with a, a third string quarterback. Exactly. All right, so now the question becomes, the value player says value, value, value on the Saints. This line opening weekend, you would think would be six, right? Absolutely. I mean, they're laying less. Value, right? Value. So, but now the question becomes is you usually say, wait a minute, this is a trap because they're making it so appealing to play the Saints. I want to take the Falcons with the short 
money or with the short, you know, points back. Now, why is that? Where's your hat at on this? The the reason why I don't think it's a trap is because the public perception, as I opened with, is looking at the Saints and saying, you know, they barely got by Minnesota, and Minnesota turns around and loses to Miami and only scores ten points at home. So you're saying, even though they are the defending champs, this is legitimate value because the public is so disenchanted with the Saints. Right, and then Monday night, remember, they played the Niners, who just got drilled by Seattle the week before. Seattle come back in week two and got drilled by Denver. So that may, it just makes that win by three points at the gun look, you know, bad for New Orleans. Well, plus they got, I mean, let's be, they had multiple turnovers. And I actually liked the Saints Monday night, and it was the wrong side, even though they could have covered I, Reggie Bush factor clearly. What 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 point? What number of points? Objective number of points do you put on Reggie Bush being out? Well, you've got to put a point. You probably got to put a point there for Reggie Bush. But I one. Would, I'm going to put one for him. I'm going to be quick to point out. And I got you know injured last week. But even the two weeks, the Saints haven't been able to run the ball at all. Even when Reggie Bush was healthy, they've ran the ball for 79 and 50 yards in the first two games. You can't just throw the ball in the NFL every single down. You, you can't do it. You've got to get the running game going somewhat. Most, the public in general, I think, and, and this is one of your reoccurring handicapping concepts, overreacts to injuries, and there usually is a counter to the injuries in the first game where the other team says, or the, the team with the injured player says, well, we've got to step it up. Um, it would seem to me, would, I think this line would be higher than four if Reggie Bush was in. I think the public, the combination of what you're talking about, combined with the fact that Bush is being overrated, the, or the, um, the effect, I guess, of the Bush absence is being overrated. Um, I, so, so I think it's a double whammy when it comes to the value on the Saints side. Absolutely. And one of the other things that the public will be looking at is the Falcons have played them tough. I mean, the last few games, um, three of them, in fact, the last three games, Atlanta and New Orleans have been decided by eight points or less in this series. Okay. So here's what concerns me a little bit. The expert, you know, ESPN is great for a lot of things. And one of them is their game-by-game breakdown. you got guys like, you know, Ron Jaworski, NFL quarterback, got an office at NFL Films. He's breaking the game down with a 22-man shot. I mean, he understands a lot of this. And it's better if we can take that expertise and then apply it to the point spread. There's a lot of value there. It seemed like the reoccurring theme with his Bush absence was, though his stats didn't show it, him as needing to be accounted for by the defense was so important into this same scheme. Do you think maybe that we're underrating his absence? There's, there's no question. I mean, that is an absolutely great point, that even though a guy may not be productive in the stat number, when they send him out of the backfield you know, on a third down play, You've got to account for him in the passing game. It, it, it is a fact. So is he maybe worth more than the point? Maybe this is a legitimately short line. Uh, it, it, it's tough to say because, uh, and I, the backup's name 
escapes me, but obviously he's not going to be as good as Reggie Bush. But for one game, we find that these guys generally rise to the occasion. So you're saying potentially looking to fade New Orleans next week. Wow, we got some construction going on back there. <laughs> All right, but we don't stop. We just keep plugging along. All right, give us your projection. Uh, I'm going to actually go with the value here. I'm going to think New Orleans finds a way to get it done. Third Maybe it's a guy that you lost. Did you lose yesterday? No, actually, I won. Maybe they're, they're pounding pounding on the door trying to get in. That I'm sorry. Give it. us the projection. New Orleans, thirty-one twenty-four. Thirty-one twenty-four. All right. Last question. Saints have looked amazing in the first drive in both games. Literally touchdown, touchdown, and then not much offense after that, especially for the rest of the half. Are you tempted to look at the Saints as a first quarterback? It seems like that, that, that uh, Peyton's ability to script, all, you know, a la Bill Walsh back in the day, those first possession, I mean, they look like world beaters. And, let, you know, you don't have many other, you know, how many possessions are there in a first quarter? Is if they get a touchdown every first quarter, they're going to be covering a lot of numbers. Are you tempted to look at a first quarter on the Saints? That's a good point. And unfortunately for me, I'll be totally honest. I mean, being an old school guy, Betting quarter bets and, and first half bets is something that I haven't delved into. It's just trying to teach an old dog new tricks. Uh, <laughs> I just haven't been able to wrap my mind around it. Well, that's an honest answer. So maybe this is a great example. <laughs> maybe this is a great example of uh, how when we continue this discussion in the comment section, you guys can jump in and talk about the first quarter here or anything else. And next up, we're going to be talking New York Jets at Miami Sunday Night Football. For free real-time odds, lines, and scores, visit pregamelines.com. Jets at Dolphins Sunday Night Football. Marco, what should betters be looking at? Which Jet team's coming? (laughs) The one that lost on Monday night or the one that pounded the Patriots? All right, so that's the question. What's the answer? Well, the answer is that I think this Jet team is still a young team and they're immature yet. And immature teams have a tendency not to play well after a big win. Jets were pretty cocky after that win on Sunday against the Patriots. It would seem, because let's be honest, after that Monday night game, there was a real reevaluation of that Jets team. Now, is it gonna bo- you're saying it feels like it's going to boomerang back to the point of, hey, we are this good, we are the best team, and on the road against a gritty Miami team. And I'm going to point out, not the fact that I had the Jets last week as my best bet, but one of the reasons that I did have the Jets last week is I said that whenever they played that Monday night game, they were playing a Baltimore defense that was an up-in-your-face type defense. New England doesn't have that kind of defense. But this week, they're facing a Miami Dolphin team that I've, I watched last week because Miami was my top play on Sunday. Um, unfortunately, I went one and two Sunday, but I did win my top play. That defense was in Brett Favre's face the entire game. I've got to tell you, though, watching that game. Now, I, I agree with you that plus five, five and a half, Miami was a great side. But how many games does, does Miami beat Minnesota if they play that game ten times? Probably, you know, 50% at best. Yeah, I mean, it looked like Minnesota was the better team there, all things equal. Getting the points, I think Miami was the right side. My, 
I don't think that so much takes away from Miami because I think Minnesota is better than people think. I mean, playing New Orleans first game of the year in the Superdome, you know, hyped up, Super Bowl champ. To me, I thought Minnesota looked pretty good. The fact that they were a couple turnovers away in this Miami game from winning, you know, think about it. You had Favre fumbling in the end zone, stopped at the one. That's a 14-point swing, two plays. I I think, but I don't think that really is an indictment of this Miami team as much as a more of a, I'm a bigger fan of Minnesota than I think most of the public right now. Right now, public perception, you, I would agree with you that there's going to be value on Minnesota down the road. And plus, and we alluded to Favre to go back, opening up the season the way he did this year as opposed to last year. He had two cupcakes last year in Detroit and Cleveland. This year, he had to open up on the road against the Super Bowl champs, Saints, and then a tough game against Miami. Speaking of Miami, he, he, we talked about Notre Dame in a, in a systemic fashion being overrated at home. Miami has covered 15 and lost 39 games at home. 15 and 39. ATS at home. I mean, that's crazy. 15 and 30 is 66%. I mean, this is like 70%. The 30% at home, 70% losers. Is there, does it make sense to play Is it just a situation you should either fade Miami at home or pass the game? Do you want to play a team 30% at home over the course of 54 games? Well, there's no question past history this team was not a good team at home. Whoa, 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 whoa. Past history. The whole thing about ATS is it accounts for how good a team is. A team can be 0-15 or or they could be 15-0, and the line is supposed to split... The, 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 a true line is supposed to split the result. The fact that they're 30% at home means they, it would seem, are systemically overrated at home. So how good the team was or wasn't, that doesn't matter, right? There's something about that Miami home field, it would seem, that, that isn't being, that's being overaccounted for. I, I can't argue with those numbers. Again, I'm a guy that I handicap more on the here and now and what the public perception is of the two teams right now. I will look at those things as a, you know, a reference point, you know, past history, but I don't put as much credence on it for doing my case study. All now. right, so what, what is your projection on this game? Well, one thing you haven't mentioned, this is week three of the NFL, and it's Miami's home opener. They played their first two games on the road. Mm-hmm. Not only are they getting a home opener not till week three, but at least they're getting rewarded with it on a primetime game. They're playing it as a Sunday night game. So you've got, you know, the added crowd, you know, pumped up factor. Uh, I think this is going to be a war. I think Miami is an underrated 2-0 and team because in the fashion they've won ugly, low-scoring games, but they're playing sound defense. I think they frustrate Sanchez. I don't think that they'll be able to, the Jets will be able to run the ball on Miami, and that's going to force Sanchez to have to make some plays. I'm just not a fan of Sanchez as a whole. So with that said, I'm going to go with Miami. Low-scoring game, 17-13. All right, so let's talk. I, 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 you know, the home field throws me. I mean, it just seems like something why, you know, you don't have to bet every game. My feeling is why get involved, especially if you lean Miami, which I do, other than that home field. But it, I look at this line at one and a half, Miami one and a half, and it makes me wonder – 
how underrated are they? The Jets are a team that was, you know, looked at entering the year as a Super Bowl, you know, a top Super Bowl contender. They, as much as we want to demonize them for that Baltimore game, they were one play away from winning that game. And they, and, and, and then they went and, and really, in the second half, dominated the Patriots as a three-point home dog. So my question is, Miami has looked good, but, but you're really only saying that the, the, the Jets are one and a half points better. If the line should be three and it's one and now, coming off of three is bigger. But, but you're, almost, you're saying that, that, that it's pick a winner, yeah, but you're really saying that you get the Jets plus the points in this case. Does it feel like this is a value play? Because to me, the value, I mean, think about this a second. <coughs> New England was, <coughs> geez, laying three at Jets, okay? So now the Jets are in the New England spot as the road team, and they're getting one and a half. So you're saying there's four and a half points of difference where New England was considered to be relatively four and a half points better than they're saying the Jets are of Miami. Does, does that seem, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it seems like the lines maker might have caught up at this point. From the closing line, yes, I, I agree with you on that, making the comparison to New England. But if you remember, and we talked about that game you know, in uh, detail last week, that game opened, the Jets won. Yeah. And then when we were actually doing the video, New England was won, and I, and I said, I expect this game to and go. you to were three. right on with that. But the fact is, most people that are watching this are going to bet on game day. I agree if the line goes up to Miami plus three, I love Miami. At, at this number, it, it, it seems like the value, the, the adjustments have been made to show that Miami's a, a pretty good team. At this starting number, it does. I'll be curious to see what this game does during the week once the public actually gets involved in the game. And one thing to remember about line moves just in general, when you're dealing with the games that are minus one, you, it's, you'll see a line move more quickly one way or the other. You know, you'll see that swing from a one-point favorite to a one-point because the chances of it having an outcome on the final score is rare. I mean, not, not many games are going to fall one point. Yeah, but one's just as valuable as five. Or just, I, so, I mean, there's certainly dead numbers, and I would agree with you one is a dead number. And there's also another point to consider is when you tick from one to pick, it's only one tick. There's no minus a half. And then when you tick from pick to one, it's, an, it's just one tick. So it's, to go from minus one to plus one is two ticks. It, that's no different than going from minus five to minus six, so, which is also two ticks. Though it seems like two points, it's really two ticks. But all right, real quick, because this to me is the key question. Has Sanchez arrived? I know how fond you are of Flacco. And we, for, for dedicated watchers and listeners, they heard me lambast you about Flacco. Unfortunately, uh, you've been, uh, what would you say, wrong about Flacco. Flacco is a below-average quarterback, four interceptions last week, looked horrible on Monday night. This guy, I don't know if he, I don't know what's going on with him. I love it as a Steeler fan. But you say, I don't like Sanchez. But Sanchez, unless, you know, a lot of people's take dominated. The, the, he was the key player in the second half of that pass game. He wasn't managing the game. He wasn't the, trying not to make a mistake. He was the difference maker. 
Could this be an arrival for him? I mean, his confidence has to be at an all-time high. Uh, absolutely. In you know, to go back to your Flacco for a second, my statement was most quarterbacks regress in their second year. You were defend. Listen, listen. All you got go to pregame dark TV, and, and, and it was the Baltimore Jets. Watch it. There's no debate. You were defending Flacco. Go ahead. All right, Sanchez. In year two, I expected a regression. He did have a good second half. But again, I will say this, and I said it at the beginning of the season, this New England Patriot defense is bad this year. You're going to see a lot of overs with the Pats this year. So you're saying it was a, it was a potential deceiving result. Yes. All right, this week's going to tell us. This week is going to be a good point. Now, one thing that I will add that is a favor for the Jets, and it's something you pointed out on Monday night that you know caused me a little concern with the New Orleans-San Francisco game, I'm expecting a letdown from the Jets because of the way their Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde mentality has been, the way they've done it in the past. The fact that this is another primetime game, you could have that carryover effect where they are focused, you know, and have that intensity one more week, taking it out. But they're going to the be one and two if they don't win. True. I mean, so you got to think. And this is and this is a big game because. Miami goes to three and zero. If Miami wins it, that's you know, a good point too. You know, so it is a big game for the Jets. So that's one reason why you should still. Revis is out. And it's announced today. He's out. He's definitely out. Then that's a you know a big you know that hurts them in the secondary. But Miami, they haven't shown that they can attack a secondary yet. They really have not done a lot offensively so far. It's been done with the running game and doing a lot of things off the wildcat. And, and, and it probably speaks somewhat to this point spread as Revis, too, is though it might be overrated, he's probably worth a point, a point and a half in the public's mind, and thus you're looking at this game being Pickham or even Jets 1 if, if Revis was there, which might really answer the question of where the value is on this game uh, and, and, and maybe – thinking about it, the line's about right. Because so, I thought it was even pushing up where Miami was a little overrated here. But without Revis, I think the line's about right. And that's one of our mantras. The line's right nine times out of ten. Mm-hmm. And unless you're playing just for fun, you know, you got to be more, you got to be selective. One last point, and then I'll let you close, is last year in the first game, the Wildcat, which, which uh, Miami runs as well as anyone, averaged seven yards per play against the Jets, and a lot of scouts believe that's because the Jets is such an aggressive defense, has trouble with the Wildcat. They take advantage of that. So I would, seven yards per play, I mean, think you get a lot of first downs that way. So I do think that's another slight advantage to Miami. Anything before we close? Uh, the only thing I'll add is I got the slight, you know, lean to Miami at this time. This is one, as I said, I want to watch the line. If this line would creep up after, you know, now that that injury is announced and that, and that the value's taken away, this is a game where, you know, coming game day, I possibly could see some value on the Jets if they get crazy with betting Miami. But well, I would, it be three? It. would it be three? I would want to see this game get close to three, and that might change my mind. Well, it better be three, right? Because two and a half, one and a half is not that different. Right. All right. All right, now it's your turn to continue the conversation in the comment section with Marco and me. And next up, we're talking Monday Night Football. Packers at Bears, Monday Night Football. Marco, what should batters be looking at? Battle of unbeatens, but boy, one of them we didn't expect to be here, that's for sure. No doubt, no doubt. Though Chicago did have the easy game in week one, big upset at Dallas last week. So what should batters be looking at? 
I'm going to be looking here for value, and I think that on this game, although my projection is going to be pretty close to the number, I think there's still some value on the Screen Bay side. Green Bay is a team that was my pick for a future bet uh, to go to the Super Bowl this year. I think they're to the win the Super Bowl, guys. Go to the Super Bowl. Um, they're the best team in the NFC, in my opinion. Now they suffered a you know a devastating loss, but you know see how they go with Grant, you know the running back. You know it's nice to have that quality back to help Aaron Rodgers with uh, you know that they're not pinning their ears coming at him but there's no question Aaron Rodgers is the key to the Green Bay Packers he's having a good season great season so far and the Chicago Bears I think you know the public difference of two weeks week one everybody was screaming they were lucky to win against the Detroit Lions that play at the end of the game and now last week they go in the road and win at Dallas so now people you know, in a matter of a week, we're going to say, well, maybe they're not that bad. A lot of people talking about, you know, Marks is there with the offensive coordinator. All right, so let, let's look at the number. Is with Green Bay, it opened three and a half, and it's moved down to three. So you would have to think, and, and that move really surprises me. You would have to very much, because remember, whenever early week moves are sharp moves, mm-hmm. there's two types of sharp moves. There's the true positions, and there's getting ahead of a public move that, that Sharps expect. No one's thinking, oh, the public can't wait to bet the Bears here. So it would seem to me this is a legitimate sharp move on the Bears, enough to get them, you know, get off a three and a half to three. You've got to take that pretty serious. I mean, to me, of all the handicapping factors, that's number one to me is a legitimate sharp move on the home dog here. I will agree with you being early in the week. I will point out one thing that John Q. Public is going to look at. Um, You've had two Monday night games already. You've had the home dog cover both of them. You had Kansas City beat San Diego, and you had San Francisco beat the Super, not beat, but cover against the Super Bowl champs. So, you know, we always talked that back in the day, I mean, that was an automatic, no-brainer. Yeah. You had a Monday night home dog. You, you sent it with both hands. So the, the, the guys who lost with the road favorites, the guys that won with the home dogs, are going to be really inclined to, to, to value that home dog situation more than they did uh, even early in the year. All right, so that might speak to the fact that the public might be less inclined to play Green Bay than, than we might think in general, but it doesn't change. It's certainly not going to, like, you wouldn't think, you might think, wow, Green Bay was going to be 80% of the money. Now they might be 50%, and it's going to be surprising because that split's driven by the home dog being 2-0. and But, Lordy B, no one's thinking when they see that 3.5 open, this thing's going down to 1. i got to get ahead of this. I, I think we can agree the Sharps really do like the Bears here. So as you look at the handicap, why would that be? As I look at some of my notes, Bears are 7-18 and 18 ATS versus winning teams. This is a team that in the recent past just hasn't been able to match up against the best teams. The Packers have covered four straight in this matchup. 
So they beat the Bears and covered. Uh, I'm not sure if they won all those games straight up, but they've covered four straight games. So everything I'm seeing is, yeah, this Green Bay team's become a media darling, but now that it's down to three, I'm not sure that there's really a great premium on them. My gut feeling is I like Green Bay. Uh, can you make a can you make a strong case for Chicago? Because the Sharps certainly have put their money where their mouth is. I have Green Bay twenty four twenty. So I'm all right. Like so official them. projection twenty four twenty. One thing that I'll point out is right now again I, I alluded to it at the beginning. The fact that they beat Dallas, the stock is rising on Chicago. We know that Chicago that Dallas is one of those public teams. So everybody's going to react or overreact more when there's something involving Dallas. Mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm. fact that they beat them just magnifies that win. The last three games between Green Bay and Chicago have been decided by seven points or less. That means it's come down to one possession. So you've got a home dog, you know, that really, if you look at the last three games, look at the history, they do look like a live home dog. And now maybe people are going to start to buy into the you know, Mike Mark's system, you know, that he's brought to San- to Chicago. I mean, Jay Cutler was 21 of 29 last week against Dallas for 270. And you think about it, this, this hate of Cutler, this hate of the Bears, really didn't happen until a quarter or a third of the way through last season. Entering the season, people thought Denver was held up by Chicago in that trade and that, that Chicago got the best of it. Now Cutler is, is like this poster child for a bad quarterback. That clearly wasn't the perception until his horrible year last year. Perhaps his performance against Dallas has shown that was the fluke, the bad year last year, and he really is that quarterback that, that people thought he was in Denver. I mean, when they made the trade for him, they said he was the missing link. I mean, that's the one thing that the Bears were lacking when they had those decent teams the last few years was they didn't have consistent quarterback. You know, we talk about the motivation. I just can't help but think Green Bay is going to look at this as the coming out party of, yes, we are a Super Bowl contender, one of the best teams in the NFC, and we're going to make, as you call it, a statement game. Any closing comments? Going to be an interesting game. Uh, You know, I love watching Aaron Rodgers. He's one of the few guys that I – like to watch if he if I have a choice between a couple games I like him because I don't like Brett Favre and I just you know I feel for the guy he was stuck in his shadow for so long all right now it's your turn to continue the conversation in the comments section with Marco and me and that's it for this week next week we'll be previewing all of the biggest games from a Las Vegas perspective